Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 69. Our favorite. Oh my God. Okay. Breaking news. Oh, fuck. I have to tell you what I just read. Oh, okay. Do y'all remember Brendan Dassey making murder the gr- the grandson? Definitely not. <laughs> the nephew. Yeah. Okay. Y'all remember during his first trial, that weird-ass attorney he had? Oh, my God. The one who basically set him up? Yeah. Lynn was his name. Yeah. I can't pronounce his last name. Kaczynski. Okay. I probably butchered it. Okay. So, he had been working as a reserve municipal judge, and he recently was suspended. Oh, shit. (laughs) I have got to read you this little excerpt from his disciplinary, like, opinion thing okay we fail to see how staring at a court employee for 45 minutes while tapping a pencil and making cat noises (laughs) i really thought you were gonna laugh harder at that constitutes the maintenance of high standards blah 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 blah. so he got suspended so he sat there tapping his pencil looking at an employee meowing like right meow yes meow what the fuck Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm that's not what a cat call is, hun. Gets better. I don't know about better. But he also recently got arrested on federal stalking charges. What the hell? Yeah. So he all up in it. First, Dudio. God, I can't think of his name. But oh, God. Him. Yeah, the, the DA. Uh, yes. Ken Kratz or yes. Kevin Kratz or Ken, something Kratz. Ken Kratz, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we know his... Shit, I mean, basically stalking, too. Stalking and, like... Sexual harassment of a victim. Uh-huh. Wasn't it, like, a, a, uh, like a victim of sexual assault, yeah, too? Yeah, What a piece of shit. Right? And now this one. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Well, that's almost as good as the other breaking news. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going. <laughs> we were watching headline news, as one does, and someone broke into someone's house... A guy and his fiance come home. There's shit all over their car, like objects from their house on their car. I even think it was like one of their MacBook Pros on their yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. Like random. And they're like, okay, go inside. Holes are all in the wall. So picture someone like looking for buried treasure up in the wall. Like, mm-hmm. done ate their motherfucking cupcakes. Only two, and then have like the icing off of one. And those were in the refrigerator. He took them out and didn't even put them back. Yeah. Couldn't you put them back in there so they don't get stale? Right. He used their Keurig because he had a coffee cup that he had. I mean, I can't even think of all the shit. Like, it was just the most asinine, random shit. Well, then he noticed there was a crawl space in his closet. And this motherfucker, he went down there. Like, hello? <laughs> Anybody out there? <laughs> It's me, Bob. <laughs> we ought to baby eats a boy. Please tell them what he saw when he looked at that cross face. A cat with a shirt. With like a Hawaiian fucking shirt. And the cat's name is Spaghetti. I mean, freaking cute. Looked like a, a 45-year-old white man <laughs> on vacation. Yes. And his food was cold. Yeah, like, and he needed to speak to the manager. Yes. <laughs> but that's what he saw. And he was like, wait, what? I mean, and it was not Dudio being like, tap, 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 meow. <laughs> was not him. I wish I could find the picture of Dudio meowing because the picture that it had, his he had, he's like this. <laughs> what the 
fuck? <laughs> well, so he's like, uh, I mean, I know cats are assholes, but don't think he could do all this shit. Mm-hmm. Might be hard to, like, you know, move the computer as a right. cat. <laughs> Other than, like, you know, hitting it off a table. Mm-hmm. Out of spite. <laughs> yes. So he's like, no, someone else has got to be down here. So he ran outside and was like, help, help. Someone's in my house. The cops come and, yep, someone was in his fucking crawl space. Mm-hmm. And no, no, no. It gets better. But wait, there's more. He was in his damn fiance's onesie. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> like, motherfucker. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like it was titled bizarre break-in and god was it bizarre (laughs) and right after that they told the story which you all know if you're on the facebook group of the criminal who is donna and my soulmate yes Mm -hmm. and was busted when he was hiding from the police because he farted too loudly and he gave away his hiding spot wowza we are, and that's all on episode of Dumb Criminals. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How about we laugh exactly the same? <laughs> Wowza. I'll tell you what's not bizarre is that we have a new creepster. Whoop, whoop. Her name is Jennifer R. from Texas. Jennifer, are you okay? I know it's hot as fuck down there. <laughs> are you okay? We're checking in on you. <laughs> Welcome to the Creepinati. We'll send you a hair tie so you can put your boobs in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. It's hot as fuck, guys. Hot as fuck. No one needs that boob sweat. I recommend baby powder. <laughs> Maybe a wickham. A wickham? Wickham sticks in your bra, you know, mm-hmm. wicks away the moisture. It's like a bamboo thing. The price we pay to have big old boobs. I don't want them, and those wickhams are expensive. Mm-hmm. So in this week's episode, Donna and I are both doing stories from Chicago because, what's how does your mama say it? In the car I go to Chicago or something? Chicken in the car, in the car I go. That's how you spell Chicago. And that's what we're going to be in about 15 hours. Yep. Yeah, we're going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival. We hope that we have met some of y'all. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a great time. But when this episode comes out, we'll already be back. But we wanted to do some Chicago stories because that's where we'll be. Yeah. We're trying to be on trend here, which I think a lot of people are actually doing that who's going to Chicago. Ooh, so, so you might have a lot of fucking Chicago stories. Or you may have like two that just keep getting repeated. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Locked and loaded. Picture it. Sunday afternoon in October, 1955. Ooh. There were three boys, Robert Peterson, he was 14, John Schusler, he was 13, and John's little brother, Anton, he's 11. So the three of them were figuring out, like, all right, what are we going to do on this Sunday, you know? And the kids were like, you know what, let's go see a movie. So Robert's mom is like, okay, well, this is what's playing. And so they decide they're going to go see a matinee of Disney's new film, The African Lion. Never heard of it, I know. What? I'd never heard of it. I was like... Uh, it's a, it is the Disney thing, apparently. It doesn't actually matter to the story, but I think it's interesting to know what they went and saw. 
Yeah, but is that like a before the Lion King? <laughs> mm, guess so. So the kids go to the movies. Hours go by, and the parents are like, where the heck are the boys? They haven't come home yet. Yeah. And so they're like, well, you know, Bobby, Robert, he liked to go by Bobby, really liked going bowling. So they probably stopped off at one of the bowling alleys on the way back from the movies. Damn, what are these people made of? Money? I mean, well, it was a matinee. Maybe they were going to make a double feature like you and Tiffany. <laughs> so the dads are like, okay, let's just go retrace their steps, see where they are. Did they stay for another movie? Did they go to a different theater? You know, let's just go check it out. So they went to the theater where the boys were supposed to go. And then they went to, you know, the nearby theaters just to check. And then they were like, all right, now let's go to the, some of the bowling alleys since Bobby loved it so much. So, the dads are checking the different bowling alleys, and they did find out that one of the bowling alleys the boys did go to. Oh, damn. They came in, hung out for a little while, but they had been gone. Oh, fuck. So, they weren't there. So, the dads go home, and they're like, shit. What do, you know, what do we do? They're not here. So, they call the police, and it starts the search for the three missing boys. Two days later, a traveling salesman was stopping to eat his lunch out in Robinson Woods Forest, and... He saw something, and he was like, what the fuck is that? Maybe not fuck. I don't think they said fuck in the 50s. He said, what the H-E double hockey stick is going on? <laughs> and he looks, and he's like, oh, my God, that's a body. Oh, and fine. so, again, it's 1955. You can't just do boop, boop, boop. So he has to go to yeah. the, like, the nearest gas station or whatever's closest and call the police. Well, the police get there, and they say, he's like, was it a body? And they were like, it wasn't one body. It was three. Oh, no. And so he had found the three missing boys, Robert, John, and Anton. They were all three piled on top of each other in a ditch, completely naked. And that picture was in the newspapers. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they had that. It's like... For as conservative as the 50s were, they just had that picture of, you know, yeah. and it's like, but I don't know. It just was so odd to me that that was just like a, yeah, on the front page of the newspapers, you know, there was nothing to go on Wow, from the crime scene. There was, I mean, they didn't even ever find the boys clothes. Holy fuck. And so, there was, and again, it's the 50s. People are smoking at crime scenes, walking yeah. around. You know, newspapers are there taking pictures, and they haven't even moved the bodies. You know. I know. That is so crazy. That's what I love about A Crime to Remember, to see mm -hmm. that. And you're like, what the hell? How do they solve crimes? Yep. I mean, I'm guessing it was a lot of miss. Oh, yeah. There's uh, no telling how many people, innocent people, went to jail. Yeah. For as conservative as they were at that time, they just had no tact when it came to crime. Yeah. It's just so crazy. And I think, too, now that we have a better understanding of, like, trauma and re-trauma. Yeah. Like, re-traumatizing someone from an understanding that it can be just as traumatizing as the actual event is the reliving and all of that. And so... I think we're a little more respectful to victims and their families. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like that has always been common sense. Clearly not. So, the boys grew up 
in just this middle-class neighborhood in Chicago. It was one of those places, again, nobody locks their doors. It's the, you know, it's 1955. And these boys going missing and then even worse, being found dead and the way they were found, it just kind of created a panic. You know, kids weren't allowed to walk to the theaters anymore and all of that, you know, and it was like, what the hell happened to these boys? We know that they were found, when they were found, again, this is so terrible, but piled on one another, they were all bound and gagged. All three of them had been strangled to death, but Bobby had been slashed with a knife 14 times what was he the oldest yes and you know too like when you read some of the articles from the time too it's like the boys were so clean cut and da 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 da. you know it's like they can't wrap their head around like they have an idea of what they think a victim should be right and a good kid from a middle class neighborhood shouldn't be a victim and yeah you know what i mean whereas now we know no it could happen to anybody Mm mm-hmm because it it doesn't matter who the victim is, it's all dealing with the the criminal. Exactly. And what their what their preference yeah. and you know, all of that is. It's Yep. So again, like I said, there's no fucking evidence. They have oh. no idea where to even begin. Because they, I mean there's there's fucking nothing. A month after the boys were found, Anton Senior, who was the dad to John and Anton Died of a heart attack. Oh, gosh. And, I mean, obviously, they didn't say this, but, like, truly, I feel like he died of a broken heart. Yeah. You know, a month. He was only 41. Dang. So, a month after his two, only two kids, his boys were found murdered, he died of a heart attack. Like, I just truly feel like he died of a broken heart. Yeah. Well, and how they were found, because, again, as a male in that day, like, mm-hmm. He can't even, I mean, I can't fathom anything like that now. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I can't even imagine, like, your kids, your only two kids. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, God. So, time went on with, with nothing. No leads, no evidence, nothing. That was until 1977. Oh, fuck. So, do you remember the case? I'm trying to think of what podcast covered it. Crime Junkie, maybe? Maybe my favorite murder. And it was on that Candy heiress, Helen Voorhees Brock, where she was like a like this amazing horse rider and and all of that. And then she was murdered. Do you remember that? I think anyway. Okay. Anyway. Well, that happened in Chicago too. And in 1977, the investigation into her murder ramped up and they found some different evidence. And they basically, she, I'm, I'm kind of fuzzy on the details. I really should have looked this up. Sorry. But she was married and was going to, I think, get a divorce. She was like this amazing horse rider. And they had all these like really expensive horses, yada, yada, yada. Well, the police had charged this guy named Richard Bailey with the solicitation of her murder. And he owned a horse stable. Because, again, remember, she was really into the horses and all that. Well, when they were investigating Richard Bailey, they found a guy by the name of Kenneth Hansen that worked with Richard Bailey at the stables. And they were, like, you know, investigating him. 
because they were doing like schemes to kill horses to oh collect to collect the insurance money because these were like thoroughbred, yeah. like really fucking expensive horses. How did he kill her? They they hired somebody, and I think it was the father-in-law that hired somebody. I think. Wow. It was. I, I'm fuzzy on this. Everybody is probably like, "No, dumbass." <laughs> So the police were very, like, quiet about that evidence. So now the police were kind of looking at these people in the stables and yada, yada, yada. And they remembered not long after the three boys went missing that a local horse stable caught on fire. And that horse stable was owned by a guy named Silas Carter Jane. Silas was... Basically, what you think of when you think of a 1950s Chicago mobster. Oh, shit. Like, the mob, still a big deal, still running the shit when it came to, especially, like, the horses and all of that. So. You want to place the bet, you see? I got to find horse, you see? I'm going to kill it for the insurance money, you see? (laughs) That was terrible. Okay. So, he was suspected of. A ton of shit, old Silas. So this was Silas. This was kind of his mo. He was a terrible, like bully person. Ugh. He okay. He would sell really shit horses to really rich people and pretend like they were these thoroughbreds yeah. that were going to make their kids famous riders. Yada yada yada. He sold these horses to this family, like promising that their daughters are going to, be- you know, become what you know everything I just said. Amazing riders. Yada yada yada. So, the girls, the daughters, they go spend all this time at the stables, you know, training, trying to train their horses, practicing riding, all of these things. And then when the parents were like, these horses are shit, and you lied, you did all this, Silas would be like, well, your daughters have been up here, and they're very promiscuous with my employees. And so, the parents would back off because... They didn't want it getting out that their kids were promiscuous. Yeah. Because they had been up there unsupervised training their horses. Meanwhile, he, Silas, was actually the one molesting these girls. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fuck him. Yep. And so, the parents, again, didn't say anything because they didn't know that their kids were being molested. They, you know, they were just trying to protect the kids' reputation Thinking that, you know, they had been up there being promiscuous. Mm, I don't know if it's protecting their reputation, the kids. True, true, true. I'm sure that's what they tell themselves. So, although Silas wasn't, like, himself a mobster, he wasn't part of the, quote, Chicago outfit, his stables, they were called the Idle Hour Stables, they had a lot of gangsters that came there. So it was like he was a he was mob adjacent, basically. Yeah. Well with the name of Idle Hour, uh that sounds mm-hmm. I mean, idle hands are the devil's playground. Exactly. So we know that Silas is a terrible human being that owns horse stables. And we know that Kenneth Hansen worked for him at the stables. Mm-hmm. So a couple of different articles I read like I feel like some of the information is like the police didn't say what it was. And then sometimes they would be like, well, they said that an informant said blah. So Mm -hmm. it's 
to be honest, I'm not very clear about how it all played out. But one thing said that when they were investigating Helen's death, that an informant said that, hey, by the way, Hanson said that he killed those three boys back in 55. Whoa. Apparently, a second informant said the same thing, but the police didn't take any action. Like, they didn't do anything. What the hell? So, the police didn't do anything with the information that they had found in the 70s. I mean, they kind of knew his, you know, they knew his name, but they didn't do anything to investigate the murder of the three boys. We're flashing forward to the early 1990s. Oh, damn. An FBI informant says, look, Hanson killed those boys back in 1955. And the police were like, why are you just now telling us this? And he said, because I worked at the stables and he was like 15 years old at the time. Mm. And he and Hanson had a sexual relationship. And so he said that, you know, whenever he would, if he would try to end it or, you know, something like that, Hanson would say, you're going to end up like those three boys I killed. Oh, fuck. And so, again, it's 1955. I mean, shit, we're still fighting for equal rights for Mm -hmm. LGBTQ, you know. So he was not fucking saying anything because he would be outing himself, too, because, you know, I think that for the most part, their relationship was consensual. I mean, since the fact that he was fucking 15 years old, so ergo it wasn't consensual. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was a victim, but... In a different aspect. Yeah, because of his age. And, I mean, I think that Hanson really did do some inappropriate stuff. I mean, again, he wouldn't let him leave kind of thing. Yeah. He would say, I'm going to kill you. Like, a, you know, so it wasn't like a freaking It wasn't healthy. Romance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No Nicholas Sparks. No. So in August of 1994, the police arrest Kenneth Hansen. And not long after he was arrested, there was another stable hand who worked, you know, with Kenneth back in the day. He had moved to Arizona and he saw Hansen's face on TV. And so he was like, called the police and was like, look, he told me that he killed those boys too after the bodies were found. And... They were like, again, same thing. Why you didn't tell us, you know? And he said, we had a sexual relationship. And he said that he never told anybody because his dad was a Chicago police officer. And so he was like, I didn't want to, again, be outed as homosexual. And his dad's a police officer. You know, again, it's fucking 1955. Yeah. And so he never said anything either. Mm-hmm. So, basically, this is what we think happened. The boys were leaving from the bowling alley, and they were, you know, walking home and potentially hitchhiking, and Kenneth Hansen picked them up. He told the boys, hey, let's come down to these stables I work at, the idle hour stables, and so you can see some of these horses. One article said that when they got there, he tried to pay the boys Mm -hmm. for sex, and they refused. However, another article said that he was, like, I guess the other boys were out, like, looking at the stables, and he was assaulting Anton when 
the two older boys came in and were like, fucking stop, and put up a fight, and so he killed them all. Another article said that they think that Robert, the oldest, Bobby, Bobby, he came in on Kenneth attacking the, the two brothers, and he, like, jumped on Kenneth, which is why he had all of the extra beatings other than just being strangled, like being slashed and stuff the 14 times. Yeah. So that seems a little more plausible to me because yeah. he just had so many more injuries. Yeah. So Kenneth Hansen killed all three boys. Well, what I was picturing when you were talking about Bobby earlier is that he attacked Bobby first and was like, because he's the oldest, so mm-hmm. he's the one, you know, like he might have been hanging out with them while the other boys were doing something like yeah. younger kids would do, like, ooh, yeah. let me go feed them, you know? And then he attacked him, and so then he told the brothers, like, if you put up a fight, you'll get what he got. Oh, yeah. Yeah, could be. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, just another. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and there's no true way to know. Yeah. I mean, it's all, which is why there's, like, eight different, Yeah, I think this happened. Well, one, I feel like I say that all the time, what article I read. <laughs> One thing I read said that... Oh, you changed it up. Uh-huh. Said that Silas came into the stables and saw him, like, basically trying to clean up from killing the boys. Mm. And was like, we got we to gotta burn the barn down. Like, we got to get all the, you know, get rid of all the evidence. But I don't think that that's entire, entirely accurate, though, because they were killed in October. And I don't think the bar- barn burned down until May. But I do think that Silas knew and that was really was trying to help him destroy some forensic evidence. Yeah. Because the barn did burn down by arson. And so it was kind of, I feel like, kind of a win-win for Silas because mm-hmm. he gets insurance money from this barn burning down. And I'm sure they didn't, you know, horses and insurance, whatever. I'm, we're not going into the horses. But, well, Kenneth Hansen finally went to trial in 1955. 40 years after the boys were murdered. That's crazy. He was convicted and sentenced to 200 to 300 years in prison. So, Kenneth Hansen appealed his conviction, and he was actually awarded a new trial in 2002 because... How is he still alive? I know. Well, because he was like 22 at the time. But he got a new trial because they said that the jury heard evidence about him, like, cruising the streets and picking up boys for sexual relations. And basically, the stuff that happened after the murder shouldn't have been admissible. That's mm. what they were saying. So, he had a second trial. The jury deliberated for two hours. And he was found guilty again. Good. And then in... 2007, he died of natural causes while he was behind bars, still saying that he was innocent. Damn. So, one more thing. There were, in December of 1956, two sisters, Barbara, and who was 15, and Patricia, who was 13, Grimes, they went missing, and they had gone to a movie before they vanished. So, their bodies were found the next month, and just like the boys, they had been dumped naked on the roadside. Oh, fuck. Well, the difference was they weren't, like, bound and gagged and strangled, 
the coroner said that they froze to death that night. Oh, fuck. So, what's, but the thing is, the coroner's chief investigator said he didn't agree, like publicly disagreed with the coroner. Oh, fuck. He said that, yes, that layer of ice around the bodies did prove that they were warm when they were left there. But he said that it doesn't necessarily mean that they were alive and froze. He was saying that there was enough snow that could have created that ice layer. And then apparently there was a puncture wound on Patricia's chest that was never explained. And Mm. that he said that it appeared that Barbara had been sexually assaulted, too. And so that murder is still unsolved. There's not a ton of detail on this, but Silas Jane was also a suspect in the murder of, or, well, what some people call a murder, some people call, you know, an accident. But, but yeah, he was suspected of being part of that as well so it's like it's all kind of connected in that weird like is it mob type i don't know because you know i don't think that kenneth hansen had anything to do with the girls because that wasn't his type you know kenneth hansen did get married at some point but it's also assumed that it was kind of a front to his homosexuality Mm -hmm. but again those two two girls are is not his kind of mo. Yeah. So whether or not Silas Jane had anything to do with those girls, I don't know. But it's just kind of part of a larger conspiracy. Yeah. But also, those girls could have. I mean, yeah, they were found naked. But that isn't that what you do when you're freezing to death? Like you, like that unre, like you take your clothes off Sometimes. to warm up. Like you know what I mean? I think it has to be like extreme temperatures. It's called, like, paradoxical undressing. Yeah. Paradoxical. But if it was cold enough for them to freeze to death, then would it have have been cold enough for them to do that, maybe? Maybe. But if there was, like, a puncture, went blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying they didn't die by murder. I don't know. Yeah. So that's the death of Robert Peterson, John Schusler, and Anton Schusler. This has nothing to do with the story, but I'm pretty sure... There's a trim for tile work that's called Schusler. <laughs> Says the girl building a house. <laughs> honestly, it might not be that. It, I don't know. It's one of those weird, like, shh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's too, like, this story is so crazy because I think that it's highly unlikely that it would have gone unsolved in this day and age with yeah. him confessing to so many people. Yeah. You know, like using it as a like a scare tactic, you mm-hmm. know. But people were hiding who they were and yeah. fearing for themselves and their family and so they didn't report things. Yeah. Because people that's what these criminals would do mm-hmm. is they target the people who they know have the most to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, they know they're not going to come forward because that would ruin their life. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, like no one would take them seriously because of their job or, you know, like all mm-hmm. of that shit. Those people, that's who they target. Yep. Damn. I mean, abducted in plain sight. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But even like Silas doing the, like with the girls, you know, with the family saying, yeah. oh, well, they were promiscuous. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter what those fucking girls did. Whether or not they did it or not, Mm -hmm. you sold them shitty horses. Yeah. I really feel no resolution with that story, Carrie. I'm sorry. Well, there was, though. He went to jail. 
Yeah, but then it's kind of like, is he a, like, a small fish in a big pond of scum? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if he was the, like, the laborer mm-hmm. of this, well, the bigwigs can just hire someone else that can do it. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, absolutely. did it get stopped? Did whatever? You know what I mean? So I'm just like, ugh. Well, Brightside, most of them are dead now. <laughs> <laughs> and we've switched roles. Carrie's now the serial killer. <laughs> well, just, I mean, pure age, they're dead yeah. now, you know. All right. So like we said, I'm doing Chicago as well. And I was looking at haunted houses, haunted, you know, all of these things like an alleyway. Chicago has a lot of shit. Let me just say. You see? Um, <laughs> but I didn't go with any of those. Uh-oh. So, picture it. The morning of July 24th, 1915. Shit, we're going way back. Way back. The morning was just damp, kind of unseasonably cool for a July morning. But better weather was promised in the afternoon. And everyone was, like, crossing their fingers because... They all had a picnic that was scheduled. It was a huge deal. It would be like thousands of Chicagoans, Chicagoans, Chicago peeps. <laughs> <laughs> it would be the annual summer picnic for the employees at the Western Electric Company. And the higher up people were like, bring friends, relatives, whatever you want. To this event. And it was going to be held across the lake at Michigan City, Indiana. So, again, they had an open invitation. But everyone was surprised because more than 7,000 people showed up to be ferried across Lake Michigan to get to the picnic. So, they would have three boats. And they had three boats chartered. So, I mean, it would just have to be multiple trips. Yeah. So, the ships were docked on the Chicago River. So, the ships are docked. They're lined up. And excited people. I mean, imagine you're going on this, you know, a ship. You're not having to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You're going to be ferried across. Have the best picnic ever. Like, 7,000 people. This is a fucking event. So, passengers were pushing their way up the gangplank. And this was them going to Eastland, and that is a ship we're going to talk about. The upper decks were crowded within minutes. The rest of the passengers had went down below deck because, again, it was cold. And so they were like, let's warm up down here. Like, I don't care. We don't have to see people. Like, oh, wave, bye-bye. Like, no, 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 no. I'm fucking cold. I need a hot toddy and put my coat on. Well, by 7.10 a.m., Over 2,500 passengers filled the ship. Shit. So all the passengers are loaded, the dock lines are loosened, and the ship is about to depart. All these people dressed in nice summer clothes, just all huddled on the deck, calling out, waving their handkerchiefs, like, see you later, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. So then there's this passing fireboat, and it fired off its water cannons, like, to delight the crowd, to be like, ooh, spectacular, you know. Well, all the passengers hurried over to the port side to get a closer look. As the ship eased away from the dock and its 
you know, starting to go. Well, it also started to tip port side. Oh, God. Because unknown to the passengers, the crew had emptied out the ballast compartments, which were designed for the stability, but they emptied it so more passengers could go on board. And they didn't count for the sudden shift in the weight when the fireboat, you know, had came over and everyone was like, ooh, let me go see. Right. And then it fucking tipped. So a few moments later, Eastland simply rolled over and it came to rest at the river bottom. Oh, God. 18 feet below the surface. So a little bit about the ship Eastland, the SS Eastland steamer. It was built in 1902 had the capacity of only 500 people (gasps) and it was designed for lake excursions and like transporting produce like off the bat it had design flaws it was top heavy it had no keel it like had really poor designed ballast tanks to hold it upright i mean it was doomed from the start Mm -hmm. but then over time they had modified it to hold more people and to do more things and all of that. So, I mean, it it could have held more people, but not the 2,500, but still. But, of course, the employees of the Western Electric Company and all of their friends, all of their family, they knew nothing about the instability, about any of the design flaws, you know, no, mm-hmm. no worry in the world. But, okay, here's the real reason why I chose this. Other than that, I had never heard of it. And so, you know, like when I find stuff out, I'm like, oh, got to share it with everybody, a.k.a. the podcast. All right. So there was something called the Siemens Act, and it was a new federal rule, and it was enacted because of the Titanic disaster. And it mandated that every passenger vessel must be retrofitted with a complete set of lifeboats. So that means for Eastland, the weight of five additional lifeboats, 37 life rafts at 1,100 pounds each, and enough life jackets for 2,570 people. Damn. So all of this extra weight was carried on the upper deck. However, there were no safety tests to be like, okay, it can hold this extra weight. Mm -hmm. It's distributed evenly. All of that. They had no idea. And then when they emptied the water ballast, it just threw it all into commotion. Why? Why would you think it's a good idea to change the one thing that's keeping your ship up fucking right? I know. Well, because someone, someone had a higher up that said, we'll spend more money in the gas, so let's just get everyone mm-hmm. on here. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's not that far. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. idiot. I don't even know this man, but he's an idiot. (laughs) So, okay. Those people who were on the upper deck in their summer best, super fucking excited, you know, handkerchiefs in the air, yelling out, blowing kisses, all the good stuff. They turned into a panicked mass chaos of just bodies. A lot of them were holding on to their children, their infants, and they just spilled into the water. Others would jump for their lives. And there were so many onlookers that were, you know, saying goodbye. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 7,000 people that are here to leave. So, can you imagine the, like, it's all downtown. So, people who were passing by were like, oh, shit, what's going on? You know, and go to see. And then you're like, 
oh, cool, this, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just one of those things. So more people were there. Well, these people just were like, oh, my God, watching people begin to drown. Yeah. Well, the people who had went to get warm below deck, they, you know, tried to climb out of the gangways, the windows on the starboard side, you know, like just anywhere they can. Can you imagine? No. Oh, my gosh. And just the sheer of what the fuck is happening because they can't see anything. Yeah. With the ship turning, some passengers weren't able to get out. I mean, a lot of them weren't. But some people were trapped inside by water. You know, obviously. I mean, we've all seen Titanic when Mm -hmm. they're, like, getting, you know, we all know. Then pianos, heavy bookcases, tables. They all slammed into adults and children, killing them instantly. There were small boats that came, you know, that were kind of close. And they came, they threw life preservers into the water because they were, there was just like a mass of bodies. Yeah. Some people on shore, like the onlookers and stuff, started tossing lines, boxes, anything that would float. Rose wouldn't. She would stay up there and be like, sorry, hold Mm -hmm. on. But, you know, anything that would float... For these people who were just, like, flailing about. But some of the crates hit them in the head and would, like, knock them out, and they would just drown. But, like, they didn't just, like, oh, like, they would sink because the ship's pull Mm -hmm. would, like, pull them under. Yeah, I was going to say, the, like, suction that the ship creates. Yeah. Well... What a lot of the people who died like that were women because their dresses would get snagged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck. I mean, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you didn't dress like that, you would have been like underdressed for the occasion. You don't think, well, if the ship turns over, blah, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. All right. So I get a little bit more in detail here. So. We all know what that means. Skip if you need to. (laughs) So parents, again, were holding on to their children. And sometimes they would see them be sucked down together, you know, into the water. Or some parents would lose their grip and watch their child sink out of sight. God. One of the warehouse workers that was close by They said, God, the screaming was terrible. It's still ringing in my ears. Oh, my God. I bet bet you never forget that. Mm. So just after 58 minutes, the Eastland ship had rolled completely over on its side and, like, for real settled in onto the bottom. People, like, rescue people. Like, I mean, a lot of people just were like, what the fuck do we do? And just, like, dove in trying to help people, Mm -hmm. whatever. Well, some, like, you could hear the screams inside the ship's hull. And so the rescue workers climbed onto it, like, onto the ship, and attempted to cut through the plating with torches. And when it was finally opened, only a handful of passengers were still alive. A lady named Helen Ripa She was a Western Electric nurse, and she was on the way to get on the ship. She heard the screaming blocks away. And so she said the trolley that she was riding, like, came to a halt because, like, traffic. So it was like, screw it, and mass chaos. And so she said that a policeman that was 
around told her that the excursion boat had overturned. And so she was like, oh, fuck. It's like my people and, you know, like, oh, my God. So she's dressed in her nurse's uniform. So can you imagine like 19, what did I say, 1915? You know, those outfits, like, I can just picture it. Mm -hmm, With her little hat. Mm Mm-hmm. And so she hopped onto a passing ambulance, and she said that there were people struggling in the water, clustered so thickly that they covered the surface of the river. Oh, my God. And she said the screaming was the most horrible of all. When she got to the riverfront... She saw people, you know, just being dragged out of the portholes, all of this. So many were just cut and bleeding. So people were going to the nearby hospital, but that became overwhelmed because it was 2,500 people on this ship. Right. And then if rescue workers got, you know, injured or all all of the above. Well, so she directed one of the hospital employees to call a department store for 500 blankets she was like, okay, like, beep, boop, 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 restaurants. And she was like, look, we need hot soup and coffee. Deliver it to the hospital. Like, she was, you know, just yeah. doing all of this stuff. And she said that as survivors made it to the dock, she was like, okay, the less injured people need to go home. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, it's too chaotic. And she said that she would go out on the street, stop the first car she would see, and load it up with people and just tell the driver, like, take them here. Take them, blah. And she said not one driver said no. Aww. So by 8 a.m., almost all the survivors had been pulled from the river. But now it's locating and removing the bodies. Aww. Harlan Babcock from the Chicago Herald, he said, When the boat toppled on its side, those on the upper deck were hurled off like so many ants being brushed from a table. Damn. He said, in an instant, the surface of the river was black with struggling, crying, frightened, drowning humanity. We infants floated about like corks. Oh, God. I know. It went on, like, for days of divers and all of these people trying to find all the bodies. But it was extremely dangerous. More than once, they would have to, like, surface again because their oxygen tubes would be twisted and the air cut off because it was, like, so much debris and all of that shit mm. down there. But there were no fatalities of the rescue workers. So some of the bodies were fished out of the river using a large grappling hook. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Then other people were being pulled out by police and volunteers. And one of the newspaper accounts said one of the divers who had been bringing up bodies from the bottom of the river for hours, he went insane. He had to be subdued by friends and police officers. I mean, it was just so much. Yeah. By the time it was all over, 841 passengers and four crew members all had died in this accident. Jeez. And many of them were women and children. Oh, 22 families, husbands, wives, children, grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, completely wiped out. So the recovered bodies were loaded on trucks, ambulances, horse and buggy. And they had to, like, go to a temporary morgue because they had filled that up. Oh, yeah. So by mid-afternoon, 
a whole mass of unidentified bodies were on this armory floor. They kind of made it like that other thing I did, mm-hmm. the Cock County. Yeah. This old armory was the only thing that was big enough that they could line these people up on the floor. Golly. But then people had to come and identify the dead. And, like, can you imagine going in there? Mm-mm. So this armory that was used, it was called the 2nd Regiment National Guard Armory. And it's located on Carpenter Street between Randolph Street and Washington Boulevard. So they were laid out in rows of 85 and all with numbers that would identify who, like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is body 42. And here's an envelope of all the stuff that was on or with them. And it was labeled, you know, 42. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, people would have to come in and go through these lines one by one. And see if they could tell if they knew anyone. Even if it was a friend to say, that's yeah, Carrie Easterling, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Because, I mean, they had no fucking way. Yeah. But there were 22 cases that there was no one left to identify them. No. So the names were learned through, like, neighbors and other people who came searching for their friends. They said that there was so much crying and moaning like it just echoed the american red cross they actually treated 30 women for hysteria and exhaustion the following days of all of this because what if like your husband's there and like you don't work or whatever like what Mm -hmm. what do you do i don't know it's 1915 i don't know so by july 29th All of the bodies had been claimed except one. And it was a boy identified as number 396. But everyone had nicknamed him Little Feller. And so finally the body was just taken to a funeral home because he was the only one remaining. And two children recognized him as Willie Novotny, age seven. Oh, little baby. Yes. He laid unclaimed because his parents... James and Agnes had died along with his sister, Mamie. God. And she was nine years old. So his grandmother came and I confirmed that is him. And how she did this is that she took a pair of brown knickerbockers and was like, if it's Willie, he's got pants like these. It was a new suit that he went to the picnic in and two pairs of pants came with it. And these are the others. Oh, And later that day, the Chicago Daily Tribune said, Little Feller now has a name. And he was buried on July 31st, and more than 5,000 people attended. God. The procession stretched on for more than a mile. And after his funeral, that, like, whole tragedy was kind of put behind Chicago then. So when you think about 844 people... It, I mean, it seems like a lot, but it's like, well, but it was one third of the total people on board of that ship and a large amount, like 70% of them were under the age of 25. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- that's a lot of fucking people though. Mm-hmm. It's never really been solved as to like what exactly happened. No, you know what I mean? Everyone pointed the blame at someone else, the, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
some people said, well, they wanted to go faster, and so they, you know, changed this about it. You know, all of the right. shit. Try to make it Titanic shit. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there was nothing. People tried to do lawsuits, but it kind of just went nowhere. After the ship was rescued from the river, it was sold at auction, and it became the gunboat USS Wilmette. It never saw action, but was used as a training ship in World War II. And then after the war, it was decommissioned and put up for sale in 1945, and no one wanted to buy it. And so it was scrapped in 1947. So there were reports of it being haunted back to the time, like, just after the disaster and prior to, like, its sale from the Navy and all that. It was docked near Halstead Street Bridge. So so they just, like, picked it up from the, like, river's floor and it was just like, okay, float. Yeah. I'm just going to float now. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Because it wasn't anything... Like, it didn't, like, hit something, have a hole. Yeah, I know, yeah. but that's, like... That's yeah. crazy. Yes. Let me just... Okay, just flip that up. Yes. Just use it. Can we use it? We're going to use it for training now. What the fuck? I know. That don't make no damn sense. So, yeah, it was docked near the Halstead Street Bridge, and, like, everyone who would, like, pass by it would, like, quickly walk by, because it was still just that, like, fuck... You know, like, so many people died. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, there was one caretaker that stayed there, Captain M.L. Edwards, and he lived on board, and he said that he would be woken up nightly by moaning noises, and he was like, I mean, I think it's like the ship falling apart or something. Like, it's it's not... Yeah. It's not haunted, though, right? But he said the... One thing, like, how I said people would, like, walk by it quickly. However, people didn't know that someone lived on it. And so, like, if they would see the light turn on, like, they would freak the fuck out, which, Oh, uh, yeah. But, like, you know, and he would, like, laugh about it and be like, yeah, see, it's not really haunted because, like, they think it's haunted. You know, Mm -hmm. that whole thing. But at the same time. It's really haunted. mm -hmm. And he said that he was very glad to move off of the ship after it sold to the Navy. So, I mean, it was, you know what I mean? He wasn't mm-hmm. having the, like, restful sleep. People that pass it claim to hear the moaning and crying coming from the river. And then sometimes it will have, like, a blood-curdling scream. Please for help. Some people have said they witnessed the screams and all of that. And it's been like you hear someone splashing in the water. Oh, God. But when you look over, nothing's there. Like completely calm. Don't like that. Mm Mm-mm. And let me just say, like, this, the the water's like brown water. Like, mm mm-mm. You know I'm not Mm -mm. down with that. Mm Mm-mm. So, witnesses, again, you know, have heard it. One person actually jumped into the water to try to save what he thought was a person splashing about. And, like, holy shit. Yeah. But, like, when he, you know, got up to the surface to, like, look, okay, like, where is it? Where is it? Nothing. Nothing at all. That's a waste of a good suit. Right? I I don't know why in my head he was wearing a suit. (laughs) Also, I don't know, like, that would be fucking Sophie's choice right there of me being like, but brown water. Mm-hmm. But I could, you know, someone's dying. But but if I swear to God, 
if I jumped in that brown water and I came up and like no one was fucking there. And then a fish touched your Oh, foot. girl, I just jumped. <laughs> like, I legit just, oh, God. <laughs> no. Big Mama don't play that. Whew. So there's some places for lunch, like cafes and stuff, along the river. And some people who have stopped there to get a little bite, they've, like, saw something in the water. So they're like, oh, fuck. Like, let me go see what's going on. Because, again, this is not something that you're just like, oh, someone's swimming around. Yeah. Well, when they would get up, go to inspect it closer, they would only see one thing. And it would be a reflection in the water of a face. But it would not be theirs. Dun, dun, dun. A lot of people would just say the trauma suffered by these people who died left, you know, an impression of just stored energy. Mm-hmm right there and and sometimes people who you know don't know about the whole disaster walking by it will just like have this weird energy they feel panicked and they feel compelled to jump into the water oh shit yeah it's like it still has that gravitational pull Mm -hmm. the people at those riverside cafes they said that sometimes it'll just have like a huge surge of water No bad weather, no anything, but it'll just be like, whoosh. That's a huge surge of water, y'all. Sounds just like it. (laughs) Whoosh. But so people are like, that could be like residual haunting of when the boat turned over or whatever, you know. Okay, so you remember that armory that was like makeshift morgue, Mm -hmm. all of those people? Well, that place turned into Harpo Studios. Nuh-uh. Yes. And is it haunted? Uh Uh-huh. But not by Stedman. Damn. (laughs) A lot of the staff members, security guards, you know, peeps, they say that they have seen a woman in a long gray vintage dress. And she has like a fancy ornate hat. And she will walk in the halls and then mysteriously vanish into a wall. A lot of people have like approached her but when they get close to her she just would disappear so a lot of people said that they think that she was a victim and like a restless spirit of someone who was mourning the loss of their family and had come here to search for their family oh god they call her the gray lady and one time she was reportedly caught on security cameras but i wasn't able to find that But by the time, like, this comes out, I might have been able to find it. Who knows? Will I, won't I, go to our website to see aparanormalchicks.com. Oh, that was a nice little plug there. (laughs) She's not the only person that would haunt the Harpo Studios. They would claim to hear whispers, sounds of people sobbing, the moaning, like, agonizing moans phantom footsteps and the footsteps would sound as like they belong to several people and usually heard on the staircase in the lobby doors will like slam shut without any reason old-timey music would play and like they have nothing no record player or anything to have that like scratchy old-time sound and all oh, of god that. yeah and they also have disembodied children's voices. No, I don't like that at all. Mm-mm. So one time this paranormal investigator, 
he applied a contact microphone to the building's walls. And he said that they recorded actual voices that seemed to be talking about the Eastland disaster. There's a woman that said, died on the watership, and an English accented man that said, it's going down. Oh, my gosh. I'm yelling timber. <laughs> right? I'm yelling iceberg right ahead. Wrong boat. <laughs> There's also another place called the Excalibur and Bedazzled Boo, a.k.a. Dibbic Douche. He went there and they had some experiences, but I think I'm going to save that and do it on its own. But they said there's a little girl who's dressed in period clothing that they believe was a victim of the Eastland disaster. And so, like, that's how it showed up when I was researching this. Yeah. And that is it. Damn. What I was just like, holy fuck, because of the... The Titanic sank for other reasons, you know, but the whole point of them, like, losing so many lives, like, they wouldn't have lost that many lives if mm -hmm. they had the lifeboats and the, the life jackets and all of that, like, the right amount. Mm -hmm. So, of course, new laws came in and were like, perfect, this will never happen again. However, it had the adverse effect here. The weight was too much. And it didn't have to be regulated. Like, it was just like... In water, like, okay, it's perfect, but they didn't have anyone on it or anything right. to see it see it in action, to see how it would perform. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's just crazy that, uh, like, oh, gosh. I have some videos that I found, like, old-timey videos. It's crazy. Like, I, I teared up because it's just like, oh, my God, this person is here filming this. And, like, I don't know, you know, and just because it's, like, old-timey and so it has, like, the spots and it's mm -hmm. all, like, it's yeah. just crazy. Like, they existed back then. And, yeah. like, I don't know. It was just, like, so much. But I'll have links to those. And there's also one where a body is being pulled out. Oh. And so, again, I'm linking to the videos, but not, like, putting them in. Like, yeah. I'm not embedding them. I got a lot of information from the Smithsonian website and they have so many pictures so I'm going to actually link to that page as well and then have some other pictures I found mm -hmm. but like they have a lot and like of the victims and stuff like that yeah golly like what they look like before you know well yeah wow that was a good story yay I mean not yay but you know what I mean yeah both of our stories were sad as shit they really were really hopefully our time in Chicago will be better than that it's just so crazy, too, because, like, with your story, it's, like, nobody did anything wrong. Like, like on the ship. Yeah. Like, they just were living their best life, going to their picnic, expecting that people had done their jobs. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah. And they were negligent. Mm-hmm. Damn. That's really the most scary thing, because you really have no control over it. Mm -hmm. You can do everything you possibly can to be safe, but the people that you entrust, like, okay, the captain knows not to, I'm just saying for the Titanic, like, not to go full steam ahead in the dark. With he, icebergs. Mm -hmm, you know, he's trying to make the world record, all of that. And so here, same thing. They were just trying to get it over in one fell swoop so they didn't have to spend gas and whatnot. And it's just like. Is it gas? Oil. Coal. Steam. Coal. Steam. 
whatever. But just trying to save on whatever, like the manpower, mm-hmm. all you know, all of that. So I don't know. It's just like, God, what the fuck? Like you entrust your these people with your life, and you might lose it. Well, that's depressing as fuck. <laughs> God dang. Sorry. Okay, so what did we learn? That your story's sad as shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yours too, Missy. Well, it, but it does. It shows that you you never know. Doesn't matter where you live, you know, what your background is. No matter what, no one is immune from trauma. Yeah, so true. Well, hopefully you remember that. And, I mean, you still keep doing whatever you need to do to feel safe, to feel in control, and to be alert and all of the above. And also remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.